Hello and welcome to the St Eminence podcast. I'm Simon Carley. And I'm Natalie May. And what we're going to do today is talk you through what's happened on the St Eminence site in December. Busy month, lots of things going on. And we've managed to get quite a bit of content out there, some journal club stuff in, some clinical stuff, some well-being stuff. We're going to take you through the highlights of that. But before we get started, there's a couple of things we need to tell you about that are coming up in 2018. So some really interesting courses which the people who listen to this podcast will be interested in knowing about. So Nat, what's coming up first? So first up, we've got the teaching cooperative course on medical education in Cape Town. That is between the 20th to the 21st of March, running immediately before Bad EM, and registration is open now. This is a great opportunity to get signed up for a course that will hopefully get you thinking a bit more deeply about the way that you do medical education. The big pull for this course for me is that we're really mixing things up this time. We've banned face-to-face lectures. It's going to be fully interactive. We're going to take medical education that little bit meta and educate you on medical education on the way it can be done in a way that we think it should be done, if that makes sense. It does. So this is essentially, this is a masterclass in medical education and it's going to be very interesting. If you can tie it up with a bad EM fest, which we've talked about on the podcast before, then that's great. Now, if you can't get to Cape Town, and you really should because it's very exciting, there is an opportunity later in the year in Manchester between the 10th and the 12th of October running a very similar course in Manchester in the UK. So particularly for European people, if they want to travel here or actually from around the world, fantastic. We're going to tell you more about that as we go through the year. And the day before, we've got St. Emlyn's Live, a one-day conference around the four big themes on the podcast and on the website. Again, that's going to be a great event. So look out for that. Check the website. Have a look on the St. Helens website. We've got all the links there. But yes, in the first instance, Cape Town's next and it's going to be amazing. So with that in mind, let's get on to what we've been doing in December. So quite a few different things. So I think we kicked off with Dan, didn't we? Dan Horner talking about his meeting and his attendance at the Intensive Care Society at the Intensive Care Society meeting in Liverpool. There's quite a few things that came out of that, really. Um, It's worth a read. There's Paul Young was over from New Zealand talking about uh, how we handle evidence in intensive care and actually the paucity of really high-quality evidence for intensive care interventions. And he's quite a... He's a sceptic. He's a a sceptic in absolutely the right way. And he really challenges us to think about our our, uh, practice and the way that we use evidence. So have a look at that. There's also a really interesting conversation on there about contrast-induced nephropathy. Is it an issue? Do we really need to worry about it, particularly in our critical care patients? And Natalie, you've got some other links to that as well, I think. Yeah, if you're interested in that topic, I'd really recommend the EM cases literature review that's done in their journal club. So that's a lot of our foam friends coming together, including Lauren Westerfer as a guest skeptic, and they're going to take you right through the evidence. It's a little bit long, it's just over an hour, I think, but really worth listening to. So if you want a quick update on what's been happening in the world of intensive care medicine in the UK and around the world, then have a look at that blog post. Lots of links to some really important studies that have come out this year. So that's good stuff from Dan, who is a wonderful addition to the St. Emlyn's team. So where do we go next? We had some interesting, I had a bit of a almost embarrassing moment, really, when I was in the ED around the beginning of December, when I referred a patient on to our medical team who'd taken an accidental therapeutic excess of paracetamol. So these are the people, they're often young, they're often got earache or something relatively benign, and they've been at home and they've just been taking multiple doses of paracetamol such that they end up getting to the point where you you think you've got to treat them as an overdose. And in the past, that's what we've done. And I referred it on to the medical team and their their registrar went, well, I don't think we need to do that anymore. It was a bit embarrassing, really. I didn't know about it. Did you know about this, Nat? No, and I feel like I've been a little bit out of the loop with the 
the changing way that we manage paracetamol overdose generally in the last sort of year to 18 months. So this was a really helpful blog post for me too. Yeah, there was a really interesting presentation at the ARCHEM meeting in Liverpool, the Royal College of Emergency Medicine meeting in Liverpool, which really started to challenge our paracetamol. We think we've been doing it the same way for years and maybe there are better ways. But the bottom line is, if you see a patient who has taken an accidental overdose of paracetamol, so they're not trying to kill themselves and it's just a sort of a therapeutic excess, then you can run through a quick checklist to find out whether you need to treat them or not. And actually I've found that there's quite a few patients we don't need to treat. So I've got a list on the website um, to tell you what to look for, but in essence you're talking about taking some blood tests, checking their INR, checking their eusinase, creatinine bicarbonate, FBC, LFTs, and looking at the amount of dosage that they've taken, and then measuring their paracetamol concentrate in blood, if it's less than 10 milligrams, and the ALT is in the normal range, and the INR is less than 1.3, and the patient has no signs of suggesting liver disease or any other sort of complicating factor, then you can probably send them home. Don't just listen to that. Go and have a look at the blog and read the guidance properly. Look at your own tox base or equivalent around the world. Look at your local protocols. But there's definitely a group of patients who we now no longer need to admit. And that's a good thing. Next up on the blog, we had Laura um, posting about the ED wellness spa. So the background to this post is that this is an, a, a group of interventions that's been initiated in Manchester around clinician wellness. And I think this is really the, a first for probably for the world and certainly for emergency medicine in the UK and some amazing stuff going on there. So she's written a, a post about the story of how that's come together. And she's kind of covered the five key components of wellness, the connectedness. So the, the spa in itself is a physical room in the ED that clinicians and, and by clinicians, I mean nursing staff, anyone who works in the ED can go to for a little bit of time out and a bit of support when they feel that they need that. So that might be during a shift or after a shift or whatever. So there's a connectedness thing there. It's about bringing the, the team back together. There's some stuff around being active. So there's also been some events. Um, I think you guys have been out doing some raft building. Is that right? Raft yeah, building well, and orienting? Well, that's something we started when you were in Manchester with us now. We took the junior doctors when they first came into the hospital and we took them up to a scout camp in the hills and we ran them around the hills, did adventure training, uh, high ropes courses, low ropes courses, raft building, um, various different activities to bring them together. We've taken that now and started doing it with the department as well. What you find is a lot of department social activities, particularly in emergency medicine in the UK, tend to revolve around alcohol and going out in the evening. And it's an observation that that does not suit everybody. It's not what everybody wants to do. Not everybody wants to drink. Not everybody can drink. And those with childcare responsibilities find evening events often quite difficult to arrange. So that was an idea that we would have events which would be accessible to a much broader group of our colleagues. It's very successful, actually. We've only done it a few times in the summer. We're going to do it again this year. But that was that was really interesting. And then she talks about gratitude so there's both a gratitude tree for staff to record the things that they're grateful for things that have done well that whole idea of recognizing and and articulating the positivity in our lives and then there's a gratitude wall aimed towards staff telling them positive messages about how the department feels about them so that's really helpful there's a load of learning resources that they've got in there so a, a bookcase and opportunities to read around uh, wellness topics and other topics as well, healthy eating cookbooks, that kind of thing. And then lastly, there's some mindfulness resources. So this is really a, a kind of whole person, whole wellness 
opportunity for all healthcare professionals to really look after themselves a little bit better and hopefully therefore increase their own sustainability in the department and the department's sustainability through that. So it's an amazing intervention. I think Laura's doing some research around it and I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes out of that in terms of evidential outcomes too. Yeah, it's that concept that to make people more resilient, I don't know, I don't even know if I like that word. It's this idea that if you want to have a better culture, then you can build a better culture. It's not just something which happens per chance. You can do things. And there's some really interesting things which Laura's done with the room because it is more than the room, but even the room, the room smells different to the rest of the department. And that sounds like a really weird thing to say. But when you walk in there, you go into a different space that looks different. It feels different. It sounds different because it's quiet and it smells different. That's really quite remarkable. It, it's, it's a really interesting thing. And I think a lot of other people should really consider doing this sort of thing in their own department. So have a look at that. It's really important. Uh, next up, we had a journal club post from Gareth who looked at a paper in... Be annals of emergency medicine about minor trauma, so musculoskeletal trauma, and whether we should be treating with paracetamol, non-steroidals, or both. So this was a multi-center, double dummy, double blind, randomized controlled trial for patients with minor injuries who were divided into three arms, having just paracetamol, having diclofenac, or having both. And you know, don't take my word for it, read the paper, read his appraisal, get into the evidence there. But the bottom line of the 547 patients that they looked at was that there was no real significant difference in reduction in pain scores between the three groups, suggesting that actually maybe for musculoskeletal trauma, paracetamol should just be our first line treatment. There's no real benefit from adding the NSAID too. Now, one of the interesting things I found with this paper and also about other pain papers is how little difference the analgesia appears to make to pain scores. I don't know whether you've noticed this, but we see a lot of studies like this one where there doesn't appear to be a dramatic change in pain score at all. And that's, I suppose, in contrast to what we think we're doing when we're giving analgesia and my perception of what happens when we give analgesia in the emergency department. It's odd. I don't know whether you've ever thought about why that might be. Yeah, I think if you go right back through our blog to, I don't know, a couple of years ago, Rick uh, wrote a really interesting post around pain and suffering in the ED that makes the point that we think we're there to provide a diagnosis and maybe reduce a pain score, but actually patients' expectations of the department might be a little bit different and that actually pain and suffering are multifactorial things. So part of the treatment of pain is finding out that there isn't a broken bone under there. And maybe that's providing some of the relief that patients seem to be better, but when we measure their pain score, it maybe isn't that much better. So that's a, a post that's well worth digging up in the archive. Maybe we should retweet that sometime soon. Um, it's one that I read regularly and, and link to regularly because I think it's some fascinating work that's been done there. And I, I wonder whether that's a component as well. I do. I think you might be right there. I think there is something in this idea that when we deal with a person in the emergency department, if we just measure pain, we're missing a trick. I think some of these studies should actually look at more than just pain scores. They should look at actually patient experience and how they feel and what their suffering score is. I know that's difficult to do. It's not as easy to measure, but that's really what we're after, isn't it? It's not just the pain. Yeah, and it's re it is really difficult in these kind of papers exactly as you say, like a suffering score, a pain score is very subjective and it's, although there are these tools that are validated for that use, I don't know how reliable I think they really are, but they're the best we've got. So that's kind of where we're at. So challenging work to look at pain, but an interesting paper nonetheless. Now we had a, a brief update on a book which you published about the uh, Sydney Hems. Now we've already talked about that on the blog, so we're not going to talk about it too much now, but if you haven't downloaded it already, do. It's incredible. I can say that because I didn't write it, you did. It's an amazing, um, an amazing collection of 
anecdotes, ideas, stories, evidence around a, a year at Sydney Hem. So do that now. And then we got on to, again, another experience last month when I was, I guess, a little bit embarrassed that I didn't know something and I really should do. So Vicky Vella, who is an associate specialist in emergency medicine in the UK, put out a tweet saying that she was talking to her doctors about the marzipan guidelines and not one of them knew what it meant. And it's one of those blogs where you look at, you know, one of those tweets where you look at it and go, oh dear, neither do I. So did you know what the marzipan guidelines were? I had no idea whatsoever. So this is fascinating, actually. This is The marzipan guidelines are essentially a guide to how we can manage patients with civic anorexia. And there were some really, really golden pieces of information there. The first was that, did you know that, that anorexia nervosa has one of the highest mortalities of any psychiatric illness? No, I didn't know that. So I think in severe anorexia, the, the mortality is 20%, which is just shocking. And then there was some other really interesting stuff in there that actually many of the patients that we see in the emergency department may have eating disorders. Do we routinely ask about it? Do we routinely screen for it? A lot of our deliberate self-harm patients will actually have eating disorders alongside. Is that something that we routinely investigate? I think this is something that we maybe don't think about from both ends of the age spectrum. So I think when we see adult patients, we tend to think about this as a paediatric problem. When we're in the paediatric ED, we tend to think about it as maybe slightly older than our paediatric patients. But really, it's something that bridges both paediatric and adult practice and something we should consider a bit more. Yeah, there's also this stuff about diabulemia. Have you come across that? No. So this is um, people with type 1 diabetes who use their insulin regimes to lose weight, so intentionally becoming ketotic and intentionally losing weight. And so that's another group of patients. So if we're now seeing patients with type 1 diabetes or having repeated episodes of DKA, this is another area which we should ex be exploring with them. I thought it was fascinating, really, really helpful, really, really insightful, beautifully written by Vicky. And I would recommend that if you're an emergency physician and you've not considered this before, you have to go and read this. You will learn stuff. Just stuff like the SUS test, the sit-up, squat, stand test for how poorly somebody is, and that reminder that patients with severe anorexia can be very close to death with relatively few clinical signs. This is a great post. This will change your practice. So go and read that. Then next, we had a resurrection of a really old post. So you've probably seen on Twitter, if you've been to a conference in the last three years, that somebody will ask a question that's not really a question that goes on for ages and ages and ages. And then somebody else will tweet an algorithm about how to ask a question, often with no idea where it came from. But it came from you. It came from you for the ITGM blog way back when. And that blog, sadly, has gone by the waysiders. But we managed to get hold of the original post that went with it. And we've now reposted it on St. Emlyn's. And so how did that algorithm come together? How did you put that together? It was just a bit of fun, actually, back in 2014 with Rob Rogers, so um, at EM Educator. And we put this together because we all witnessed, you know, the thing. So stand up at the end of a conference uh, talk, so invite questions. The chair goes, somebody stands up and goes, I've got three questions, a comment. And I just wondered whether the authors would like to comment on the paper, which I published a few weeks on a similar topic. And you can just feel the whole audience groan. And it's usually that we're already into the coffee period and just people want to get out. They're not questions, they're statements, they're conferences. So we did a funny algorithm. It's just that. Now, some people, bizarrely, have taken it as a really serious piece of scientific work. So we were actually accused at one point of, of tweeting the most stupid thing in the history of science, 
which I think is an accolade which I will wear with some pride. Yeah, we could make a badge or something for you for that. I think that's definitely deserved. But it, it's had a real impact. Yeah, I think it was misunderstood. It's had a real impact, though. It's It's been retweeted to a crazy degree. And, and it is one of those things that every so often when I see a conference hashtag appearing in my timeline, I just know that sooner or later I'm going to see somebody tweeting that the algorithm itself. So it's it feels good to me that we finally have a blog post that recognizes its origins and that, that it is your creation. <laughs> it's just a bit of fun. And we need a bit of that in life, don't we? So I hope you enjoy that. If you've not seen it before, have fun. If you have seen it before and you want to put it up at the end of one of your conferences or put it up in the, set it out in the conference pack for all I care, I think it's a good idea. It just makes the world a slightly happier place, I hope. So that brought us to the end of 2017 and a review of 2017. So we put together just our little mini questionnaire to everybody on the Semlins team at the end of the year, asking them, you know, what did they enjoy that year? What were they looking forward to in 2018? What was their favourite event in 2017? And I thought it was quite interesting that we got a huge range of responses from the team. There's, there were some predictable things. A lot of people said Smack was the best conference of the year. That was my choice as well. It is amazing. It's not happening in 2018. It's coming back in 2019, but Smack was amazing. But lots of other ideas and lots of other places and lots of other blogs and podcasts, not just stuff from St. Emelins by any means, but some really interesting stuff from around the world. So as a review of the year, I think if you're interested in foam, I think have a look through there. There's some really interesting things. I bet it will link you to somewhere where you've not thought about going before. Yeah, I, I think it's a great post. It's one of my favourite posts that we do, partly because there's always a component of remembering the stuff that we've produced and, I, and it's always I always find it kind of encouraging that other members of the team go oh so somebody in the team wrote this post and I'm it's it's still one of my favorite posts of the year and I think that's really good that we're sharing and impacting each other but we also are able to mention things that other people have done outside of the St. Enlin's team and other things we've liked and enjoyed and I've always found something that I'm interested in somewhere else because someone else in the team has linked to it so yeah I think I think it's a pretty good resource to be honest yeah we've got some nice photos on there which sort of cheered us all up I love the one from the BMJ awards we, were, we went to to the BMJ J Awards education category this year didn't win but not a problem but there's a great photo from there which um, I just think is funny um, from the people who could get there obviously Nat, Ashley, Liz those of you who live abroad you couldn't join us but you were there in spirit always there in spirit so that brings us to the end so what else do we need to tell you we need to remind you don't we we need to remind you that if you can get to Cape Town on the 20 to the 21st of March and then for the teaching course the 19th of March for Ross's P3 course, and then the 22nd to the 25th for the Bad EM Fest, which is a unique conference. It'll be really good fun. If you can't do that, you need to get onto the website now and think about booking yourself in for October. 9th is going to be St. Emlyn's Live. The 10th, the 11th, the 12th is going to be the teaching co-op course in Manchester. Again, it's going to be amazing. And then the one that you forgot to mention that I think is FIX course, isn't it? In New York. Yeah, so that's that's the week after the teaching course in Manchester. So that's the 17th and 18th of October, the Feminine Ideas Exchange, which I'm really desperate to go to and very excited about. And there's information about that on the Feminine blog. And we're also working in the interim period around something really interesting and innovative in New South Wales. So the resuscitology, it's going to be a two-day course. We've got a faculty of Cliff Reed, Carl Harbig, Brian Burns, Jeff Healy, Chris Nixon, and me. And we're going to be looking at some case-based, discussion-based learning around uh, high-end, high-quality, evidence-based resuscitation stuff. Um, I can't say too much more about it at the moment, but there is a Twitter account that you can follow that's going to have all of the information and the website will be up very soon. So maybe have a look out for that. 
I think it's going to be good. And final thoughts are we consider ourselves to be spectacularly lucky to be able to go to conferences and meetings. We are we appreciate that's not the case for everybody. If you can't, then what we will try to do always is to bring the learning from any event that we go to, put that back up at the blog so that everybody can share that learning. If you can get to a conference, that's fantastic. It's always good to meet people. It's to share ideas. It's not just about the, the lectures and stuff. But we do appreciate that we are in a, in a pretty lucky position. And if you can't go, please try and join us through social media. If you can go, we'd love to see you there. Enjoy 2018 and hopefully we'll see you around.